It is so great to see you guys here today. There's uh, a lot of faces that uh, I, I get to see all the time, and it's always great to see you. There are some people that uh, I, I have not. It's uh, been a couple weeks, and man, I, it is a, a delight to be able to see every single one of you here today. So I just want to welcome you. Uh, and, and thank you guys so much for coming. And by the way, after the service, we are going to be having a congregational meeting. We have about three of those a year. Um, and uh, we're going to be doing one in February and one in June and one in October. And this is just a chance for us to tell you how things are going and what's going on with us, our past, our history, and some other updates. We are going to be, uh, it's already been mentioned, but we got a couple new positions that um, we are hoping to fill with some people that we appreciate and with, that are part of our church. And so we're going to be getting to, to see them. And uh, I think one of them doesn't really like to talk very much. You might get a hello out of him, Phil. Uh, but <laughs> no, um, man, it's, I really hope that you guys are able to make, uh, stick around for that afterwards. But for now, if you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, that is what we're going to be working through right now. Romans chapter 12. We've been working through this book for for a while and learning a whole a great deal about what God has done in our lives. We have seen Him working in our lives through not our own effort, not our own discipline, but through the power of His Gospel. As we have always been coming back to on a constant basis, this is a single letter that wasn't meant exactly to be broken up when it was first read into a thousand different parts like I kind of do, but man, there's every word is good, so we kind of do it anyways. But it helps us to remember this is a single letter with an overarching theme that Paul keeps on coming back to, and that theme is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, where he says, I am not ashamed of the good news, because it's God's power to save every believer, first the Jew and also the Greek, for in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith, to faith, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. And a lot of the time when we look at this and we see how the righteous live by faith and it's God's power to save every believer, we think, oh, this is how God takes us from people who are not going to heaven to people who are going to heaven. People, how He saves us from being people who don't have the life of Christ in us to being people who do have the life of Christ in us. And we have that moment of transition and God saves us by grace through faith and that's it. But it's so much more. What God does in us and through us and for us to save us is so much more. It is through faith that we are not only saved from being apart from God, but we are also saved into having peace with God. We are saved into having hope in God. We are saved into being alive to God and God and being identified with God so that when, when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. It is not just about going to heaven, although there may be some of us even some of us who have been going to church for perhaps even our whole lives, who may have been used to the idea 
of, you know, maybe if I go to church enough, then God will be happier with me. If I go to church enough, then maybe I will be loved by Him. Maybe I'll go to heaven. I hope I will. And God says it is by grace through faith, by trusting in Jesus that we receive that life. And it's by faith in Jesus and His grace that we grow in that. And so we've been working through this whole series through Romans as Paul works through talking about our need for the gospel, for God's power to save us by grace through faith, to how we receive it through our faith by trusting in Him. We have seen how what God does for us, the benefits of when we are walking in faith because of trusting in Jesus, what we receive by our connection to Christ and by our connection to the Spirit. And we have just finished walking through God's power to save Israel. A 37-book and more illustration walking us through the Old Testament is how God interacts with the people of Israel and His faithfulness to them and His faithfulness to see them that. And we have been working our way through that so far. We have just entered into this last section, which is a little bit longer than the others, so we're going to be in there for a little while. But there's this transition point in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, where Paul moves from teaching into application, where Paul goes from what things that you need to know and things that you need to trust into things that you need to do in order to display what God has done in you in your outer life. And this is a talk about maturity, about growing and maturing in who Jesus has already made you to be at your core. Now, we have up here in the, in the front, on this side, Evelyn and Beverly, two wonderful piano players who have served us long and faithfully here. Um, tell me, I'm, I'm putting you two on the spot here. Do you think that I could just walk up here after two days of practice and play the piano well? Just two days of practice. No? Okay. What would I need to do? I need to take lessons. Lessons? What if I decide I just wanted to practice? What if I just sat down and I said, you know, there's a sheet, there's a keyboard, and I'm just going to try to figure it out myself and plink things out? Will I become someone who is really good at reading music automatically just on my own by practicing? No. In fact, if I tried something on my own and I tried to do it my own way, I might learn the wrong habits, which I would then, when I come to someone who can teach me, they would need to make me unlearn what I learned before I can learn the right way. Isn't that right? And it's the same way with us. In our Christian walk, in our walk with Christ, some of us have said, you know what, I understand that I'm saved by grace through faith, and that's great. But then when it comes to growing in our walk, we kind of leave grace at, at the front door of when we first entered into life. And we say, you know what, I'm saved by grace, but now if I really want to be a good Christian, i got to buck up, i got to pull myself together, and i got to make myself a really mature Christian by all of my willpower and my obedience and my repentance and all the good things that I do to grow. And if I do it, I'm mature. 
And if I don't, I'm not. And it's all dependent on my strength, my obedience, my sacrifice. I think that Paul wants us to see things a little bit differently. And so that's what we need to understand as we come through here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I actually just am going through two verses, and I really want to, to kind of, to use a cooking term, marinate you in it, and let us just rest in it and revel in it for a little while. And so what I'm going to do, something a little different, sorry guys if you're scared, but I'm going to put this up here in five different translations, and what I would love is if someone would be willing at each time to stand up and with a nice, loud, clear voice, just read two verses off the screen. I'm not going to pressure any individual person or call on names, but if someone's willing to do that, that would be great. We're going to start out Romans 12, 1 through 2, in the New International Version. If someone's willing to stand up, say that in a nice, loud, clear voice. Now, some of us are used to the King James Version or the New King James, so that's the next one. Is someone willing to read that for us? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies of the sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, pleasable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed the union of your mind, that you may prove what Thank you. Now, another translation, which might be a little bit less familiar to you, but is a really good one as well, is the Christian Standard Bible. Someone willing to read that? <laughs> Thank you, Wanda. Can't make the text any bigger right now. Sorry. Thank you, Wanda. All right. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the New English translation, but this is also a wonderful translation. Anyone willing to stand up and read that nice and loud and clear? Thank you, Al. Therefore, I exhort you, you by the mercies of God, to present your body as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Hmm. Don't be renewing of your mind. All right, I'll take on this last one. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Don't knock it, you guys. Don't be so quick to knock it, because yes, it is a paraphrase. It's far from word for word, but for what it's looking to do, it is quite effective in being one of the most readable versions of the Bible. And so, 
Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the true way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know, you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I've just kind of let us marinate in this for a little while. And what we're going to do is go through this, these couple verses, nice and simply. Because there is something beautiful in here, and hopefully we can find something that is perhaps even a new insight into how God wants to work in your life. Paul starts out with the word, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters. This word exhort is a word that we don't, like, I don't normally use this in everyday English, you know. I, I exhort you, Joe Lipple, to, to uh, hang out with me or so. I, I don't know what it is. I really like hanging out with you. Let's figure some time to do that. Anyways, let's, um, when you use that word exhort, that means you are urging someone. You are begging them. You are pleading with them, trying to move them to do something. Paul has spent 11 chapters so far telling us things that God has done for us and things that we cannot do for God. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We cannot make ourselves acceptable or alive to God. On our own strength, we are so far away. We can't do it as non-believers trying to gain the life of God, and we can't do it as believers trying to overcome sin. We cannot do it, but God has done so much for you and for me. And He has said that for 11 out of the 16 chapters. And now He is coming in and saying, in light of all this, I am urging you to do something. And he says, I am, I'm urging you to do this by or in light of what? In light of the law of God? Yes or no? Anyone? In light of the, the, the demands of God? Yes or no? No, is that what he's saying? In light of the judgments of God, the harshness of God. Is he saying any of that? No, he's saying in light of or by the mercies of God. I have something that I urge you to do. He says, you need to remember, Christian, believer, brother and sister, you didn't earn your right relationship with God. You don't earn peace with God. You don't earn your salvation. You don't earn your life. You don't earn your identity with Christ. It is offered to you. It is given to you as a free gift to those who trust in God's work, in Jesus' work, and not in your own. It is belief. It is trust. It is faith from beginning to end. God gave us a life and a relationship with Him permanently the moment we believed. But that life that we receive only gets enjoyed and matured in and experienced as our belief, as our faith, as our trust grows. 
And so he's encouraging us to do what he is about to say because of the mercies of God. We need to keep that in mind. So what is Paul exhorting us to do? He says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, as I was working through this, and you know, since I'm, I'm coming up with all these messages, and sometimes something sticks out at me from what I had studied earlier, and it did here, when I saw present your bodies to God, it reminded me of what Paul had said back in the middle of chapter 6. If you have your Bibles open, you can turn back there. When Paul says in verses 11 through 13, he says, Therefore, consider yourselves, account Decide that this is true of yourselves, that you are dead to sin and alive to God. And then in verse 12, he says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its desires, but, or, and don't present any parts of it to sin as weapons for righteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, present yourselves to God. And all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. This is what he is calling us to do. Present yourself to God. What does he say? As those who are alive from the dead. Now, I don't know how you've always read this verse, but whenever I have read this, I have read, and I've read, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I don't know, maybe you haven't done this, and maybe it was just me, but I had always read this for a long time as saying that... I need to think of myself as a living sacrifice and picture myself like a lamb that is being on the altar, being burned alive, except for the fact that at least when they, they sacrificed the lamb in the Jewish temple, they had the decency to cut the lamb's throat so that the lamb was dead and it didn't feel itself being burned alive. And I almost pictured myself being like, I am a living sacrifice that's still alive, feeling myself being burned alive for the sake of God and hurt and I don't want to be there and I want to crawl off but man I got to think of myself as I got to keep on sacrificing myself and being hurt and in pain and and doing this I don't know if that's you but that's kind of the picture that came to my mind when I thought of a living sacrifice and then when I say present yourself holy and pleasing to God at least for me the question always came up, all right, I gotta present myself as a holy and pleasing to God sacrifice, so I got to make myself holy and pleasing to God. And I would say, am I holy? Am I holy? Am I pleasing? Oh, I don't know. But I better make myself holy to God. Because if I don't feel like I'm holy, if I don't look like I'm holy, if I don't feel like God is pleased with me, then I have to get my act together. I have to, I have to get rid of this sin. I have to start reading my Bible more. And maybe once I've done enough good, then I will be holy and pleasing to God. And then I can present myself and say, God, here I am. I don't know, is that any of you? Is that the way you might have read it? Because let me tell you what Paul says in the whole rest of Romans 1 through 11, what the mercies of God tells us. The mercies of God say, you can never be good enough for God on your own. And when you rest in your own strength, when you try to pull yourself together, 
You will not earn God's love. You will not make yourself holy. You won't make yourself pleasing to God. Not even as a Christian. Maybe what Paul is saying here is that we need to present ourselves to God as someone who is already alive, holy, and pleasing in Christ. Maybe what Paul is urging the believers to do is to trust in who you are in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted in Jesus for the free gift of everlasting life, and then you feel like your life is a wreck and a mess, and you say, how can God love me? How can God use me? What value can I possibly be to God? God says, don't you know that when I look at you, I see my son. Don't you know that when I look at you, I see someone I love with the same intensity that I love my son? Don't you know that from the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were no longer alive to sin and dead to God. You became someone who is not dead in your sins. You became someone dead to sin and alive to God. You have Jesus' blood, in a way, flowing through you. The life of Jesus coursing in your veins right now, every one of us believers. And just as in the same way for the temple, we're talking about the sacrifice and sacrificial system. In the temple, we see that the, all of this stuff, the altar, the, the table, the incense, and all that stuff, those were just ordinary pieces of furniture until what? A sacrificed animal's blood was sprinkled on that, and then it became holy, set apart. And the same thing happened for us. You are Alive in Christ. You are holy in Christ. You are pleasing to God in Christ. In Christ you are. Will you offer yourselves to God as those who are trying to make yourself holy and pleasing to Him? Or will you choose to offer yourself to Him as someone who has already been changed at your core? and present yourself to God, ready for His use because of what He has already done in you. And then he says, don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world is is something that God made, and it's made to be good and to display His His the character of God, the life of God, the power of God. But right now, this world has been filled with sin and death, and it is trying to move us away from God. God says that one day He will bring all things into right relationship with Himself. But right now, the world is trying to pull us away from Him. And it does it in two ways. It can do it through the means of sin and saying, ignore everything God says. When God says something is true, it's actually false. When God says something is right, it's actually wrong. If He says it's wrong, it's actually right. And they will twist what God says and say, reject what God says make your own life, do what you want apart from God, it doesn't matter. That's one way the world pulls us away from the gospel, away from the power of God to save every believer. The other way is through self-righteousness. The world will say and says in so many religions, if you want to be right with God, 
Find out what the rules are. Find out what God wants from you. And then do it. And if you do the good things enough, and if you do the bad things enough, then you have a better chance of hoping that one day whatever divine being is out there will say, ah, you tried. Come on in. Both those ways, sin and self-righteousness, are the two tools that God, that the world is using to pull us away from God. And God says, don't be conformed to either one of those. Instead, He says, I want you to be transformed. He wants to transform your brokenness into beauty, to transform your, your confusion into confidence. Interesting that I had a hard time saying the word confusion. He wants to transform your worldliness into wonder. And how does He do that? By upping your discipline, your willpower, your surrender, your, your, your work ethic. He says I, He wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants to change the way that you think, the way that you see, the way that you understand. Many of us here have known people who struggle with um, the way that we, we think. Some of us might do that ourselves. I didn't go to the wild game dinner. Uh, man, they were packed full. I think they had they ran out of tickets. I went to the the Bible camp dinner instead. I was too late to to sign up for one. But man, they had a really great dinner too. They had a fantastic speaker who spoke about his son, his oldest son, who had a a mental disorder, schizophrenic affective, or something like that. And and the son of his had trouble with how he saw the world. He would be in a place sometimes and say, I feel like I'm in hell and I need to get out. And he's like, I, I just, I need to go out. Sometimes he would just run away, throw his, his phone and wallet and keys and shoes into a dumpster and just be gone. And they'd have to go finding him because he just didn't see the world the right way. And guess what? You and I can do that too. Sometimes it's a full-on mental disorder that maybe a, a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist can diagnose. But I would bet every one of us struggles with the way we understand the world and we understand God. And it changes the way that changes the way we respond to the world. God says He wants to transform you, but not by making you work at it. He says He wants to transform you by renewing your mind. Changing the way you think about God. Not as a severe judge trying to decide whether he likes you or not. He wants you to know him as the Father who gave everything to show you his love, to give you his life and a relationship with him. And he wants you to trust him as that. You think maybe if the more you see God in that way, that's going to change the way you view the world and life? Oh yeah. It means changing the way you think about sin. I know some of us look at the commands of God when God says, don't do this and don't do that. And they're thinking, man, God, you just want to suck all the fun out of life. You're just trying to be a killjoy. Trying to take a good life and turn it into a boring old life. But if we understand sin the way that God understands sin, we'll understand it as something that falsely promises to meet your needs for life, for love, for security, and happiness, and safety. It falsely promises to meet those needs, and all it actually ends up doing is hurting you. 
And renewing your mind finally means changing the way you think about yourself. Not as a worthless, deadbeat, barely making it, but oftentimes not person that God just looks at and is like... And on the other side, not thinking of yourself as a capable and disciplined person who does all the right things and is better off than that person. But instead, looking at yourself as someone that is fully known in all of your brokenness and fully loved by God. Because you earned it? No. Because He sees you and He knows you better than you know yourself. And He says, you are worth loving and I love you with a love that can never be lost if you trust it. That's what he wants you to have. And the more we understand that, the more we let our minds be renewed so we trust that, not just on Sundays in church when I'm talking to you, but in everyday life, that will change you, that will transform you. And if we do that, if by our, the renewing of our mind we are transformed, what does Paul say? You, may, you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. We need to renew our minds, but not with demands and rules and religion, but rather with the gospel. Renew your mind with the good news of the free gift of God that is received by trusting in the promise and the person and the power of God on your behalf. When you do that, when you renew your mind first, you will learn to recognize God's will. Not just to recognize what it is and what God says, but to recognize this is good. Man, I am pleased by what God says. What God wants for me is perfect, better than what I could ever want for myself. We need to have our minds renewed, guys. Not just renewing people's minds to the point where they trust in Jesus first. He says we need to have our minds renewed because he do, God doesn't want less for us than the world wants. He isn't trying to take away your joy and make you suffer out of some sort of cosmic sadism. The more we immerse ourselves in the love, the power, the wisdom, and the grace of God for us, the more we will know that what God wants for us is good and well-pleasing and perfect and it will sustain us, not just through the nice times of life where everything's going right, but especially in the hard times. And that will transform us so that when you go to church or you give money to a cause or you tell the truth or read your Bible or do a good thing, you won't be doing it in order to earn God's love and approval. You will start doing it in order or because you know, because you trust that what God wants for you is really better than anything else. We're about to go into the rest of Romans 12, where Paul talks a great deal about loving others and submission to the government and what is or isn't allowed and how we respond to that. And when we do that, I want you guys to grasp hold of this, that it is of the utmost importance that we don't obey for the sake of a law as if we are trying to earn God's love. We obey because of the gospel. 
as we learn to rest in and enjoy the love that we already have. So let me read that for you one more time. Just let these words close your eyes and let them wash over you. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Now, we've tried this for the past couple weeks. We're actually not going to do that because for the sake of time, the congregational meeting, um, if you have some thoughts, we tried having something, those of you who didn't see this before, where if you have a question, you can toss up your hand and just ask that and I'll try to respond. For the sake of the congregational meeting and respect for your time, we're not doing that. I'd love to talk to you afterwards if you have a question. Um, we'll hopefully have time to do that next week. But for now, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy. Jesus, we thank you for your death. We thank you for the free relationship with God that you give us. We thank you for your life as you defeated every obstacle, even death, that stands in our way. You offer us an identity with you. You offer us peace with you. We thank you that your will for us, what you want for us, is good and well-pleasing and perfect. And Jesus, we ask us that you would renew our minds as we embrace your good news of a transformed life that rightly judges your will as the best possible life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm about, let's all stand for the benediction, and as I do so, what I'm going to do after this, I'll just announce, is we are going to have our congregational meeting immediately afterwards. Some of you have kids. Um, kids are welcome to come in, and uh, if you want to, I can grab some pieces of paper that they can draw or color with to help them keep distracted, but we really appreciate that. If you're feeling like you've fallen asleep during the message, I saw a couple closed eyes, go ahead, grab some coffee, uh, and uh, we'll hurry back, because hopefully in like three or four minutes we'll get this started because we really want to respect your time um, it would be great if you came yeah. it's going to be back in here so if you can be try to be back in here in about four-ish minutes that'd be great and we'll get things started and now straight out of Romans oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments, how fathomless his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. All God's people said, Amen.